This podcast is brought to you by People's Light, a cultural and civic center with theater at its core, celebrating its 49th season. For more information, visit peopleslight.org. Welcome to Cratchit's Table, a Christmas Carol podcast. This is a limited series roundtable discussion with the cast and creative team of Christmas Carol, running at People's Light from November 15th to December 31st. You can get your tickets on the People's Light website. Infused with original music and traditional English carols and performed by a stellar ensemble, this jubilant retelling of the beloved Yuletide ghost story is the perfect way to celebrate the holidays Bring your loved ones aged 6 to 106. On this podcast, we're going to dig into everything that is Christmas Carol, from why we tell this story over and over to its potential to be quite problematic. We'll be joined by a variety of guests and perspectives. I'm your host, Andrew Watring, People's Lights Community Program's Creative Director and the Associate Director of Christmas Carol. Throughout the episodes, I'll always be joined by People's Light's producing artistic director and the adapter and composer of Christmas Carol, Zach Berkman. How you doing, Zach? Uh, Andrew, good seeing you again. Good seeing you again. Today, we have a special episode. We're bringing back a previous guest. We have the artistic director of Theater Horizon and the director of Christmas Carol, Nell Bong Jensen. How are you doing, Nell? I'm great. I've been away from People's Light for nine days since the show opened, and I miss you all, so it's really good to be back. Well, the reason I I stumbled over the host part today is because I think we're turning it over to you and Zach to be the host. I think we're turning Cratchit's table around. Oh my gosh, okay. So that you can be our guest, Okay, I'm I'm really excited. I'll put on my guest hat and, and pass the host hat over to you. Yeah, Cratchit's table has turned, officially. Andrew... First of all, I just want to acknowledge your work as associate director on Christmas Carol. I have never had a more talented or useful associate director on any project, and you were just incredible to work with, so I just wanted to share that. And you also have this secret knowledge about Christmas Carol that would just come out. I'd be sitting next to you (laughs) in the rehearsal room, and you'd be like, well, originally, the child of want and ignorant, you have all of this history with the story that I didn't quite anticipate or know of when we first started. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with A Christmas Carol? Yeah, I can. So really, my whole family was a part of this local community theater in our town. My mom was like a producer and a makeup artist, and my dad did sets and was like a technical director, and me and my siblings acted. And so we used to do Christmas Carol every year. They would do the same production of Christmas Carol. They would like change some of the costumes and and whatnot, but they would do the same production of Christmas Carol every year. And I remember it being the first time that I really saw theater magic like at its height. I can still remember these moments when Scrooge went to the door 
they had this mesh over the door so that the Marley could stick his face through mm. and it would like show the imprint of his face. And I remember just being like, oh, this is theater magic. During the present sequence, they had this bed with curtains all around, kind of like we do. And they would hear a sound in there and Scrooge would open the curtain and there would be nothing there. And then he would close the curtain and there would be a false wall. And so Christmas present and all of these like dancers would come in and then they would reopen it and it would be there. And I just remember being like, this is theater for me. And it was also like fraught with like weird other emotions because I remember, because I, the reason I bring up Want and Ignorance is that was the first role that I did in Christmas Carol. Me and my older sibling were Want and Ignorance. I was mm. Ignorance, the other was Want. And the second year, they decided to double Want and Ignorance with the rich boy and the rich girl. And I remember auditioning for that and they had told my mother that I couldn't be the rich boy or the rich girl because there weren't rich black people in Victorian England. And so I wasn't gonna be able to do that role. And my mom went in and like ripped them a new one and was like, this is completely unacceptable, I'm gonna destroy you. And so it was like also the first time that I had had that like intersection with like race and theater of, of like, oh, this is very political and like these decisions can like have a lot of impact on people and audiences. But I, I really love Christmas Carol and it's, it's filled with a lot of magic for me. Muppets Christmas Carol, the, the versions that I did, reading the story, for some reason, the Jim Carrey version really sticks in my head as a really special uh, moment because I saw it with my dad. And and I know I'm telling a lot of stories, but there was also the one of the first times I'd seen the community theater version of Christmas Carol. I'm from Huntsville, Alabama. And funny enough, it snowed today, and I was thinking about this. It snowed that night, and, and it was only like half an inch, but in, in the South, they like shut down everything. But me and my dad still went to Christmas Carol, and we were the only ones in the audience. So they did the show for us. And I remember, oh. like, I remember them being, because they would all come out into the lobby afterwards, and they all, like, came and swarmed around me. And they were like, you were the best audience that we had. And, like, you were so <laughs> present and there for us and, like, loved the magic. And I just remember being like, wow, this is, like, a really special experience to be able to have. Like, no matter how many people in the audience, like, if you give that performance, like, it's really beautiful. So I have an interesting relationship with Christmas Girl. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, I'm curious, given that relationship, when you were approaching the script, working on it as associate director for People's Light, in addition to your many other roles in People's Light, I guess in knowing, okay, we're about to do Christmas Carol, given your relationship with it, where was your excitement for the piece? And what were your fears and worries or challenges? I think my excitement for the piece... Especially because there was no understanding of this version of Christmas Carol without Zach's version. And I remember the kind chorus really exciting me because when, when I write theater or when I direct theater, like it's really important for me that the act of telling the story is an active part of the theater or the magic. That there are people who are physically putting their hands on the story and moving it along. So I remember thinking, oh, for me, this like exploded the idea of what Christmas Carol could be. And I was really excited about that idea of transformation and, and multiplicity of character. What was the second part of your question? And what challenges or worries or fears did you have? <sighs> I think always, going back to like my initial experiences, how race is played in the world is always a concern to me. And then how different bodies inhabit different roles, I think, can always tell a different story. And so I think I was definitely concerned going in that there would be parts of the casting that I couldn't stand behind. And I remember us being really intentional in the casting room. I remember specifically our conversations in New York about what these bodies would look like and how they would be represented on stage. And so I think that, and I think selfishly, like my own loves of the story in Christmas Carol. 
I really love, and it was cut, I understand, but wanting ignorance as, <laughs> as a vehicle to, to like move us towards future. The fact that the, that the present sequence ends with these kind of demon children that then lead us into future, I was like, ooh, that's like a part of the show that I really love. And uh, Christmas Present being a part of the show that I really love and how they're represented. And I, I think our actors do a really good job on both of those ends. So I think a lot of my, my worries or fears were allayed as we went through the process. It's funny, Andrew, that part of the reason, if I'm really honest, for why want and ignorance are not in this show has to do with not entirely dissimilar situation of the Alley Theater's production of Christmas Carol in 2001, where the only children of color who mm-hmm. were in the show were want and ignorance. Mm-hmm. And it was such a glaring moment of discomfort for the other artists during it. And I was like, this is territory that we need to make sure we handle really yeah. well if we handle it. And so that, that was sort of a ghost of past Christmas carols that were part of why I then sort of veered away from having those two kids show up. And also why it ends up being, you know, Mrs. Dilber has a child mm-hmm. underneath her skirt instead of the phantom. But it's, it's a very interesting thing that you bring that up about your childhood <laughs> and then also bring that up as being something that just all the things intersect yeah. with, that, with that question. It's hard. I think, I think it was navigated well, though, in this production, for sure. Okay, I've always wanted to do this on a podcast. We're going to do a lightning round. Okay. (laughs) Zach, you can help me. Okay. Lightning round. Okay. For Andrew's perspective on Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. Your favorite song in the show. Oh! Lightning, Andrew. Mary's Kiss. Mary's Kiss. Mary's Kiss. (laughs) Mary's Kiss. Favorite moment in the show. When Fred is giving the toast during Christmas present and Scrooge is hearing, I think, really some of the most positive things in his life at that time. Mm, that's so nice. I know the Fred and Scrooge relationship was really important to you. It was, yeah. No, that's really awesome. That's my, yeah. That's one of my favorite moments, too. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite costume? Christmas present. I kind of want it. <laughs> What's the scene you would have wanted to keep working if we had had another day of rehearsal? I think the Marley's sequence from door to including the phantom. I don't want to give too much away. Come see it. But to the <laughs> phantom moments. Great. Favorite, not actor, but favorite Cratchit child? Uh, I think uh, Belinda's underrated. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's a hard role and I think our Belinda's do it really well. They do. If you were playing anybody in this version... Who would you want to play? Fred, I think. Mm. And I would have to sing it in his part, too, because he's got some great tenor lines. He really does. Yeah. And Robbie's killing him. Robbie's killing him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Last lightning round, which isn't okay. really a lightning round. But I think the theme is forever. Yeah. Right? So you and I would have moments in the rehearsal room where the task at hand seems so enormous to coordinate 26 people <laughs> in this play with music, and this puzzle of boxes and windows, and we started to fantasize about other versions of Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, what are you about to say? <laughs> well, I'm just curious if you can share with our listeners some of the future versions of Christmas That's Carol. What I, I mean, I want to know more about the solo show Christmas Carol. <laughs> I want that, to know all about this. So we have it planned through 2029 20, or 2031. Our first is 2025 
solo show where I do all of the roles. Just to recover. Uh, ju- just to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, but just, is it is all the roles of this current adaptation or you do your own adaptation? No, I think it's this. No. I think okay. it's so this. So you do the whole thing. I'm doing the whole thing. Okay, I love it. So we'll have to decide. Well, you missed it. We had an understudy rehearsal recently and we didn't have the youth cast there. So I was playing all of the youth cast. Oh, and it was pretty incredible to see. They were all like, I would watch this production. Yeah. You also have a beautiful voice. Like sometimes you'd randomly be like, let's take it from blah, blah, blah. And you just start singing. Whoa. That's amazing. Um, Which was another great moment when we were rehearsing the ending moment when the youth cast, I don't want to give too much away, but I was with the youth cast off stage and they were like, where are we going from? And I was like, oh, take it from blah. You know, I started singing. And I think um, Cassidy was like, was that you singing? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you should be in this show. And I was like, well, thank you very much. Um, In the future. In the future. You will be. I think we had talked about, in 2027, a... I think we had talked about a potential Christmas Carol focused around uh, Scrooge potentially having a gay relationship. And we were uh, hypothesizing whether that was Scrooge with Bob or potentially Scrooge. We, we, yeah, we got into because yeah. we were like we would have to yeah. get rid of Emily, and it was like of... so we were like that we ha- we probably need to invent another character that's maybe like someone that Scrooge sees like on the street every day or some or the, where, bring back the pub sequence and like yes. have someone who's like always trying to connect with him. We landed the... on the advocate. Oh yes, the advocate being that maybe being Scrooge the... was in love with Marley. Yeah. They're yeah. in a homoerotic relationship. But then, you know, after his death and part of his transformation is he falls in love again. Yeah. And the advocate is sort of that perfect side character. So yes. we're, we're very passionate about that version. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, in 2029, and th- I think this one can be separate than the past version, having kind of a Bridgerton Christmas Carol. Yes. Uh, that's very gossipy and very, like, kind of modern mishmash kind of a thing that we're very passionate about. That's... I feel like the fezzy wigs would be, like, the Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, kind of a, a lady whistle down kind of I, a thing. You know, I have I already said on this podcast about Turn of the Scrooge, the original idea that, that I wanted to no. do. So this would never work, really. But my original idea was to have the five women most sort of offended by how their husbands were treated by Scrooge decide to basically stage the ghosts to try to convert Scrooge. And so the whole thing is basically like a noises off meets Christmas Carol, where we're watching the behind the scenes of these women try to create the machinations and and where they finally dupe Scrooge. And so Scrooge actually does have this change of heart, never knowing that it was actually the wives of Bob and the wives of Fred and all the different wives who sort of came at him. And that was my turn of the Scrooge concept. First of all, great name. And I, I love Turn I of the Screw. I still, I still I love, love the name. Turn of the Screw. But I really think that there is this noises off version of Christmas Carol yes. where we see the, especially because we, we get a very specific socioeconomic lens in the play uh, through right. Scrooge of like ha- seeing the background kind of of this Victorian world and how it all plays into it. I, th- I think that. Yeah. So, no, I, th- I think there's an upstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think there's Downton Abbey meets Christmas Carol. Does 2031 give you enough time to write? Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, I think Andrew's right. I'm happy to produce it. So. And then our final, so the, maybe this is 2031 or 2033. Wow, we're, we're deep there. Deep. Ten years from now yeah. is a Christmas Carol where all of the characters except Scrooge are played by children. Oh, that's great. 
Which we're very we're very passionate it's, about. Yes, yes. It's sort of a Carol Churchill best wool yes, meets yes. Christmas Carol. Um, very nice. And kind of a Muppets-esque, you sure. know what I mean? With this, I feel like that is kind of that world of like this whimsical world that surrounds this very mm-hmm. stern individual. But do you think everybody but Scrooge? I think there's one other, I think either Marley or... You've started me thinking about like, you know, Little Big League. Like what, what if like everybody was an adult but Scrooge and Scrooge is a child who's controlling oh. everybody. Oh, that's kind of real. I think either way. Or <laughs> do it in rep. You, you know, switch rap. each night that we have that's that right. cast. Well, we already know that's <laughs> rehearsing. That would be a monster. But Well, I feel like any final words from you, Andrew, on the experience of Christmas Carol? forward this production things you want people to know i guess my question is if for because today's we're recording this on the first student matinee day of christmas carol so what would your hope for a young person like yourself back in the day seeing their first christmas carol what do you hope that 20 years later when they're being interviewed they say this was their experience seeing christmas carol at people's light twofold I, i think there is this really beautiful moment, especially for a young Andrew, when Bob and Tiny Tim come through the church and have this really beautiful moment. And on that stage to see a black chestnut seller and a black Bob and a black Tiny Tim and a black Christmas present in this world, highlighted and being beautiful and wonderful and incredible actors. Just to be able to see that on stage and know that that can be you and know that that moment is for you and that this world is for you under any circumstances, I think is really important. And two, I think something we talked a lot about throughout is this like idea of a young person seeing some of our tricks or seeing some of our moments with wind or, or with with water or with uh, a um, tablecloth becoming something else and being like, oh, I can go home and, and do that. Like as someone who used to force my family to do <laughs> Beauty and the Beast or like Bambi that I had written and putting them in <laughs> costumes and, and all this stuff. And, and I was quite a harsh director back then. But knowing that you can just go home and make that kind of magic and, and that that kind of magic is the magic of this world. I feel like that's what really drew me to theater in general is that that's the magic that we really have is being in a, in a space with other humans breathing and, and seeing something impossible on stage and so I think a, a little Andrew sitting in, in that student matinee one very similar to you would be like put me on stage <laughs> would be like when are they going to call me to to do that but also that, that this this world is possible I think is what I would be thinking I think 2028 Bambi Panto might be yes. also in the cards now that yes. I've, I've heard you have a Bambi in you. So. I definitely have a Bambi Panto. in me. Yeah, I think we all love theater, and especially student matinees. I feel like that energy is like, wow, this is why we do it. Okay, I think that's our show. Please continue the conversation we started in the comments. Be on the lookout on People's Light social media for future information about uh, Christmas Carol, because this is our this is our last podcast episode. Yeah. Unless by popular demand, we come back. So please get those listens in. Uh, really push us. If you're feeling generous, please donate to People's Light on our website at peopleslight.org slash support. We hope you come out to see Christmas Carol running at People's Light from November 15th to December 31st. You can get your tickets on the People's Light website at peopleslight.org. Awa! Awa! Awa!